thank the Lord for a little less snow today and a few more people that were able to get out here and be with us this morning. Those of you that haven't been able to get out for a couple weeks, we, uh, we missed you and we're thrilled that you're here to be with us this morning. The uh, story is told of a man who lived in a, an area that was getting some severe flooding. And he was sitting out on his front porch watching the waters rise. And a canoe came by. And the fellow paddling the canoe said, you better get in the canoe with me and let me get you out of here. The waters are going to keep rising. And the fellow said, well, I'm a Christian, and my God's going to take care of me. So the waters kept rising. The guy climbs up on the roof of his porch. And a pontoon boat came by guy that's driving a pontoon pit you better get on the pontoon here and let get you out of here the waters are going to keep rising i'm a christian god's going to take care of me well the waters kept rising so the man went up on his roof a helicopter comes by lands on the roof says you better get in the helicopter the waters are still rising i said i'm a christian my god is going to take care of me well, the waters kept rising, and the man drowned. When he got to heaven, he said to the Lord, Lord, I'm a Christian. I thought you were going to take care of me. And God's response was, I sent you a canoe, a pontoon, and a helicopter. Why didn't you get on? The gist of that is God many times wants to use people to be a blessing to us. And he wants to use us to be a blessing to others. Now, God doesn't need any of us. God didn't need a canoe paddler. God didn't need a pontoon captain. He didn't need a helicopter pilot. But he wanted to use a paddlist. He wanted to use a pontoon driver. He wanted to use a helicopter pilot. And he wants to use us. He, he doesn't need us to carry on his work in this world. But he wants to use those of us who have been saved by grace through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, he wants to use us and graciously chooses to use us. He wants us to be the hands and the feet and the mouth of the Lord Jesus. He wants us to love, encourage, teach, guide, and help others through us. He wants, us to, use, he wants to use us to draw hurting people out of the pit of loneliness, grief, and despair. He wants to use us. He, and it's a privilege that he does want to use us. And we, we understand that, that, uh, that God doesn't need to us to be his servants. But when we get a grasp on what he has done for us in the atonement of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, that, that he willingly gave himself and took our sin upon himself, when we get a hold of that redemption that we have, it really can't help but cause us to want to do something to serve the Lord. Amen? When you think about what Jesus has done for you, don't you want to do something for him? It's, it's a natural thing. And the good news is God allows us to do something for him. God allows us to be used by him. And uh, if we really know Christ, we want to be used by God. We want to make our lives count for eternity. It's natural that we worship and have that desire to serve him. The Apostle Paul demonstrated this when he said, for me to live is Christ. He knew what the Lord had done for him, and so his desire was for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And we find that, that uh, 
genuine worship of the Lord leads to serving Him. And service that truly pleases the Lord flows out of a heart of worship and appreciation for our Savior. Before we can really effectively serve the Lord, there are a few things we need to get right in our lives. And here in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, we read that God-pleasing service requires a, a right mind, first of all, about ourselves, and then a right mind about serving. We find we think about a right mind of ourselves. We need to see ourselves as saved and serving. The first verses in this chapter, we find there's a beautiful and, and very well-known exhortation here that uh, we should present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. And that exhortation is to brethren, people that already know Christ as Savior. We're to give our bodies as well as our souls to the Lord to be used by Him. We are to see ourselves as being transformed. We're exhorted in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be changed from the inside out. Let God change the inside so that it shows up on what you are on the outside. And we say, well, how do I get changed on the inside? And we're told right here, we get changed on the inside by the renewing of our minds. We need to learn a new way of thinking, a non-selfish way of thinking, a God-centered way of thinking. We need to think the way that the Lord thinks. And we have another exhortation then in verse 3 that's based upon all of this. And it says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Here we go. Here's the exhortation that we all need. He says this is for everybody. It's for everyone. We all need to hear this. And the exhortation we need to hear is about not thinking of ourselves more highly than we should. Watch out for, watch out for pride. Watch out for pride. Pride's a very dangerous thing. It can destroy lives, and it can destroy ministries, and it can destroy families. And we need to make sure that we are not characterized by this, this pride. We're all susceptible to pride. In fact, sometimes people can even be proud of their humility, and it can be a difficult thing. You know, it's amazing the things people get proud of. I still remember years ago hearing a a great preacher by the name of John Ballio talked about the, the subject of pride. And he talked about Little Jack Horner, the nursery rhyme. Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating his Christmas pie. He stuck in his thumb and he pulled out a plum. And he said, my, what a good boy am I. And Ballio went, went waxed eloquent on how, what's the big deal? You stick your thumb in a plum pie and you pull out a plum. It, that's not rocket science. You know, if you can't put your thumb into a plum pie and pull out a plum, there's something wrong with you. People get proud over the silliest things. People get proud over gifts that we are given to God, gifts that we don't deserve, gifts that we don't, that we don't get for ourselves. They're given to us by God, and that's going to be the emphasis on what we see here. But the thing we're told here is don't think of ourselves too highly, more highly than we ought. Be careful about that. Uh, don't think that you deserve more from God than what you really do. In fact, in the reality, what do we deserve from God? We deserve His judgment. We deserve His wrath. 
We deserve an eternity in hell. Anything we have that, that doesn't involve that is mercy and grace that God bestows upon us. Some people say, well, I've got this terrible disease, and I don't deserve that. Uh, that that's mean. Well, actually, when you have that kind of an attitude, that's pride. That's pride. You know, we, we, we do deserve judgment from God. We, we see a great example from Paul here as he gives this exhortation. He actually is giving this exhortation to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought as an apostle. He has the authority of an apostle of Jesus Christ. There were 12 of them, and they were sent out with the authority of Christ to do his work, to do his bidding, to declare the gospel, to found the church. And Paul was another one of the apostles that God called, an apostle called out of due time. But he was an apostle. He was a special representative of Jesus Christ. He had authority. But notice how he refers to his apostleship here. He, he talks about the fact that uh, it's his grace. It's his grace. I say through the grace given to me. He was an apostle. Why was he the apostle? Because he deserved to be an apostle? No. Think about Paul. What did he do? He persecuted the church. He was there when they stoned Stephen. He didn't deserve to be an apostle. It's all about the grace of God. The grace of God allowed him to be an apostle, and that's the way he, he remembered it. In fact, Paul was a great demonstrator of Christ-likeness in this area of humility. If you look at most of the letters that he writes, one of the things he does, he refers to himself again and again as a slave of Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. He doesn't emphasize the apostleship. He emphasizes the fact that he's a servant. And I would encourage you and me in our lives to emphasize the fact that we're servants of Jesus Christ. We're servants. We're all servants. Be careful that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we really should. We also need to make sure we don't see ourselves uh, too low. We need to see ourselves with, with a sound mind, with, with sound judgment. It, it uses the term soberly here in verse 3 of the New King James. The, the, the word that's translated soberly is the idea of, of having a sound mind, sound judgment. And, and just as if we are, are proud and we think too highly of ourselves, that, that's one error. We can also go the other direction and think too lowly of ourselves, thinking, I can't do anything. There's not one thing that God could ever do through me. Well, that just goes contrary to what the Word of God says. Every single believer has at least one spiritual gift. God can use all of us. We need to recognize that. We have a great position in Christ. We need to be careful of that, that false humility that doesn't line up with what the Word of God teaches. Dorland sang that song for us this morning that, that emphasizes how important we are to God. Not because we're important in and of ourselves, but we are important to God because of His love and His grace we're so important to him, his eyes on the sparrow. And what else? He, we know he watches over us. And we're important to the Lord. He cares about us. He wants to redeem us. He wants us to spend eternity in heaven with him. He wants to wash away all of our sins. And he wants to use us in serving him and touching the lives of other people as well. We need to make sure we don't see ourselves too low. We need to see ourselves as gifted by God. We've been given faith by God, and we have been given gifts by God. What a tremendous blessing that is. By the way, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be proud of gifts, right? Somebody gives you a gift, what would you do to get that gift? 
Now, somebody may give you something you earned. That's different from a gift. Why do you get a gift? Just because somebody wants to give you a gift. And uh, what, what a blessing when God does bestow gifts on us, and he gives us gifts that are in relation to the faith that he gives to us. He gives us the faith to use the gifts that he blesses us. And what a, what a wonderful thing that is as we think about that. We're gifted by God. We also need to see ourselves, as it talks about here, as part of a, a body. We're all part of the body of Christ. We find that this, this illustration is used a couple places in Scripture. It's used here. It's also used over in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, where it describes the body of Christ as just like your body. Our, our bodies are made up of, of all kinds of different parts. And all of the parts are important, and they're all interdependent. You know, our mouth is of great importance when it comes to eating. Amen? Well, that, you don't agree with that? If you didn't have a mouth, you couldn't take in food. But, you know, it's not just your mouth. In order to get the food to your mouth from your plate, what do you need? You need your fingers and maybe even holding a fork once in a while, depending on what you're eating. You, you, your fingers, your hand is important as well. And not only is your hand important, but, but what enables you to stretch out your hand and move your hand? Your arm does. Every part of the physical body is important. Our eyes are important. Our ears are important. Our brain is important. Every part of the physical body is important. And Paul takes this. The Holy Spirit of God takes this. And he takes it over to the body of Christ, to the church. Talk about the universal church and the local church. Everybody here is a part of the church. We're all different. Just like hands and feet are different. Hands and mouths are different. We're all different. That's the, and God made us that way. And God gives us different gifts and abilities and interests and capacities. And it all comes from God. And by the way, we shouldn't be proud of any gifts that we have because they're all gifts from God. We're, we're all different. There's a great diversity. Oh, thank God for that, right? And, and we're, we're all important and necessary, and we are interdependent. We need each other. I need your gifts to be a blessing to me and to help me grow. You need my gifts. To, to grow from those. We, we, we benefit each other. The fellowship of the body is a tremendously important thing, and, and we all need to make sure that we are functioning. We're all serving, serving in some way with the gifts and abilities that God has given to us. We're all part of the body. There is no unimportant Christian. There's no Christian that the church can get along without. We all need each other. Just like when one part of your body doesn't function very well. Your foot doesn't function very well because it hurts. What happens? You limp. Well, sometimes the members of the body don't function very well, and the church limps and doesn't do what it needs to do. But God has given us all the gifts that we need to tackle this community for Jesus Christ. With the gifted believers that he's given to us here, we have the people that we need to reach out and evangelize Cairo, Tuscola County, and our part of Michigan, and also to reach out to other parts of the world as well, and not only to see people evangelized, but to help build people up in Christ, to help them learn to love one another and, and grow in their walk with the Lord.
but we need to see ourselves as part of that body. And once we see ourselves right, we see ourselves the way that God does, then, then we also need to properly exercise the gifts that God has given to us. It's a diversity of gifts. Verse 6 emphasizes that. Gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. And they're, they're grace gifts. They're given to us by the Lord. Nobody deserves to, to have the, a beautiful, beautiful singing voice. That's a gift from God. Nobody deserves to have the uh, abilities to lead and, and be an administrator. It's a gift from God. You know, we could all have an IQ of about 30. You know, could that happen to any of us? Could God have made us that way? And uh, by the way, you don't function real well with an IQ of 30. It, it definitely is a handicap. That could have been any of us. But guess what? If we got an IQ that's higher than 30, God expects us to use our intellect that we have. God expects us to use our gifts and abilities. And we find that we need to do that humbly and exercise our gifts in humility and in love for one another. Uh, I'm sure glad that my hand doesn't get mad at my face and smack it. But you know, sometimes that happens in a church. Believers get mad at each other and they smack each other one way or another, maybe not physically, although I've heard of it happening physically in places. We need, we need our bodies to, to function and the church body to function in humility and love and demonstrate the gifts that God's given to us. There are seven of them that are listed here in this passage. It's not an exhaustive list. It's a list that you could probably put all kind of other gifts under underneath it. It's not exhaustive. It's not every gift that there is, but uh, the, the gifts of prophecy and ministry and teaching and exhortation and giving and leading and, and showing mercy. And we want to talk just a little bit about what these different gifts are. First of all, prophecy was working in the early days of the church. In fact, uh, prophecy was the capacity to receive and speak forth truth, which was be, had been given by revelation from God. When the Apostle Paul spoke revelation that God had given to him, he was functioning as a prophet as well as an apostle. When Daniel spoke about the, the, the kingdoms that were going to rise and fall, he was speaking as God's prophet. Where did he get that information? God gave it to him, and then he, he wrote it down, and thank God we can still read it today. Prophets got revelation directly from God, then they communicated it to the people. Moses functioned as a prophet, as God used him in leading the people of Israel. By the way, there are no prophets on the earth today. Not in that sense. Uh, in fact, we're told in Scripture that prophecy was going to be set aside uh, as far as getting direct revelation from God. Uh, supernatural knowledge was going to be set aside. You can find that in 1 Corinthians 13 if you want to look it up. And, and when was it going to happen? When that which is complete has come. When we got our completed New Testament Scriptures, prophecy was set aside. There will be prophets again in the tribulation period, according to Revelation 11. But for now... Prophecy's been set aside. You want to know what God has to say? Where do you go? Do you go find the latest, greatest prophet? Some people do that, and there's no end to people on the Internet and on TV that claim to be prophets. But I would encourage you. You want to know what God has to say? Where do you go? You go to this book. This is all we need. This is the completed revelation that we have from God, 
and it's enough according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 that the man of God can be thoroughly furnished and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now we find that God's word is our revelation. Now there are some that say that there are places in scripture where it uses a non-technical use of the word prophet and, and that somebody who's speaking from God's word Teaching God's word may be functioning somewhat as a prophet, but nobody's getting direct revelation from God. And I, I am highly suspicious of anyone who claims to be getting direct revelation from God today. You want to be safe? Stick with the word of God. Stick with the scriptures and what God's revealed to us in that word. Read Revelation chapter 22 and what it has to say by adding to or taking away from the word of God. It's a dangerous thing to do. It also talks about ministry here. It's another gift. Ministry is the capacity to work faithfully, often behind the scenes, to assist in the work of the Lord and encourage and strengthen, uh, strengthen others. Uh, it's a, by the way, the, the, the term Greek term here is diakonos. We get the English word deacon from that. You know what deacons are supposed to do? They serve in the church. Deacons don't run the church. They serve in the church. Uh, pastors, by the way, are, are servant leaders. You see, the church is all about serving. The, the, the church is not about control. It's not about running things. It's about serving, serving the Lord, serving each other. And people with this gift for ministry, this, it, it can also be translated serving, helping. Uh, people with this gift don't generally care about the limelight or attention. They do a lot of work in the background, and they're not really too worried whether other people see it or not. You know why? Because who are they serving? They're serving God, and they just want to be a blessing to other people. By the way, folks like that are the backbone of the church. Thank God for people like that that are willing to serve in the background, don't care about getting credit. And they prepare Sunday school materials, care for maintenance of the building and the property, do secretarial work, provide transportation, work in the nursery, set up chairs, prepare food, send notes, pray. And we could go on and on with things, areas where you can serve. By the way, if you're not sure what spiritual gift you have, start right here. Start just looking for areas where, where somebody needs some help or where something needs done. And, and don't worry about getting credit for it. Just offer to help just jump in there and help people with the gift of serving and and ministering have a sensitivity tend to be sensitive to to needs that exist and then jumping in there and helping out uh, it's not a gift to be minimized extremely important gift in the church to be ministering to be served there's teaching the gift of teaching is marked by two characteristics First of all, a hunger for and keen interest in the personal study of Scripture. And uh, it's often related to other disciplines like studying history that goes along with it, theology and languages. Uh, a good teacher has to, first of all, be a learner. You know, if you're not going to be a learner, you can't ever be a teacher. And uh, it's exciting to... to a great teacher is one who gets exciting about what he learns and just wants to share it with somebody. That's the best kind of teacher. You know, you've had teachers like that over the years, just been excited for what they want to share with you. Then there's others that aren't all that excited and are not all that interesting. But when you're excited about what God's truth is, 
it's easier, a lot easier to make it interesting. A teacher also has the ability to communicate clearly the truths and applications so others can learn and profit. People respond to a gifted teacher by saying, I, I see. I see what that says. I see what, you, see what that means. By the way, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be a good teacher. He's our, he's our teacher. He's our ultimate teacher. Exhortation is the next gift that's listed here. And, and the term for exhortation comes from the same word that, that's used referring to the Holy Spirit over the Gospel of John. Uh, two Greek words that go together. Para, which means alongside, and kaleo, which means to call. Uh, the Holy Spirit came al comes alongside to help us. In fact, He indwells us as believers. He's our helper, our comforter, according to the old King James. But he, He's there to help us. And, and people with this gift for exhortation, they come alongside to help. They're, they're, they're not like Job's comforters. They came alongside. They didn't help very much because they didn't have much sensitivity. Uh, they didn't have much love for Job. Love and exhortation go together. This exhortation involves advising and pleading and encouraging and sometimes warning, sometimes strengthening and comforting and basically helping. And as a teacher is effective, the, the, the student that listens to him teach it, I see. The one that's the ex exhorter and has the gift of exhortation, when he is functioning effectively, somebody says, I see, and, and I want to do that. I think I can do that, and I'm ready to do that. Uh, Tom Harmon's a great exhorter, isn't he? There are people that just seem to have that gift. Every time I hear him, I want to memorize Scripture. <laughs> and and it, he's coming in April, by the way. So mark that on your calendar when you find that the dates will be showing up in the bulletin there. But there's the gift of exhortation. It's a great gift. We use it on a smaller scale, sometimes one-on-one. -on -one. Sometimes parents with their children. Sometimes a brother with a sister. Sometimes a friend with another friend. Just coming alongside, but really wanting to help. Not selfishly, but really wanting to help, to encourage, to strengthen. We see the gift of giving. First of all, all God's people are to give. Amen? That was a little weak. All God's people are to give. Amen? All right, that's better. But there's some people that have, seem to have... More, have the gift of giving where they just seem to have a sensitivity to needs that exist in the lives of others and, and needs that exist in the body of Christ and in the church and they're, they're ready to go and, and meet those needs. And sometimes it's folks that have been blessed and, and abundantly financially, not always. Sometimes it's folks that have been blessed that way and they're, they're just ready to step up to the plate and be a blessing to other people. I would venture to say probably everybody in this auditorium has been blessed in one way or another by somebody that's had the gift of giving and just cared enough about you and maybe gave just the right thing at just the right time to be an encouragement to, to you. I just talked to somebody this week, and they told me that I did something years ago. Um, people with special need, they, they, were, they told me that I showed up at their house with a bunch of groceries. You know where those groceries came from? They didn't come from me. They came from folks in the body of Christ and said, hey, so-and-so has a need. We, we, we want to be anonymous, but would you be our delivery boy? And what a privilege to hear about that. You know, what an exciting thing. And, and you know who many times has this gift of giving is people that have been in need and benefited from others who have blessed them 
with their giving. And by the way, you don't have to be wealthy in order to have the gift of giving. And Paul talks about the Macedonian believers and how they, they gave sacrificially to benefit the believers that were suffering in Jerusalem. And then Jesus' ultimate example of giving. Who is that? The greatest example of giving that Jesus zeroes in on. A widow lady, and how much did she give? She gave two mites, which is virtually nothing, less than two cents. But he said she gave everything she had. Why did she do that? Because she loved the Lord and, and just wanted to give to him. We have the gift of leading. The term literally means stand before. It's a capacity to organize and administer with efficiency and spirituality. Uh, a person with the gift of leading can bring projects to a, a satisfactory conclusion, but not just get it done. You know, there are folks that can, can be ramrods and people that can drive things and get them done, but if you've got the gift of leadership and administration, the projects are completed, but it's done in a Christ-like fashion. where It's not just the project that it's important, but the people are important. You see, God not only cares that things get done, God also cares about the way that we do things. And he cares that we be Christ-like in the way that we relate to one another in everything that we do. There's the last gift mentioned here, showing mercy. Mercy is simply undeserved aid. Blind Bartimaeus, when he saw the Lord Jesus coming, well, he didn't see him, I guess, but he heard about Jesus coming by. What did he ask for? Lord, have mercy, have mercy on me. And then he saw Jesus, okay? He did see him after the Lord heals him, and he's no longer blind Bartimaeus. After, but he asked for mercy, have mercy. Uh, Jesus showed mercy to lepers. Barnabas showed mercy to, to Paul after he was converted. He shows up when he's still known as Saul of Tarsus and he's been persecuting the church. He comes back to Jerusalem and nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. None of the Christians wanted to have anything to do with him. Well, why not? Because they feared him. But Barnabas steps forward. The son of encouragement steps forward and shows mercy to Paul, brings him into the group, serves as an encourager. One of the things that, that goes along with mercy is having compassion. Compassion even to those who have wronged us. And that's what Barnabas was showing there. We need to have that, that, that mercy, that compassion, that empathy for other people. And as we exercise these gifts, it's not all about focusing on the gifts. Sometimes people get all wrapped up. I've got to find out what my gift is. And then I, I just kind of work in my lane with my gift. Well, in, in both main scripture passages where it talks about the gifts, here in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, it emphasizes that we focus mainly on the giver, on, on God. And we focus on glorifying Him. And we serve in love we use what what we believe god's given to us but we do it because of god's grace and mercy to us and we allow god to use us in conclusion the emphasis once again is on using the gifts and love focusing on the giver not in identifying specifically what I, like i said if you're not sure what your gift is start serving start helping start ministering 
Start looking for, hey, here's somebody that could use a hand with this, that, or the other thing. And jump in there. And God will help you find out if you've got other gifts as well along the way. But start out right there. And certainly, the emphasis is not on getting credit for using our gifts. Who's the glory to go to? All glory goes to God. All glory goes to the Lord. It's all about building up one another. Fact is, if you really know Jesus, you want to serve him. If you're here this morning, you don't care anything about serving Jesus Christ and making your life count for him or eternity. I'm concerned about you. And you need to talk to somebody. You need to talk to somebody about your soul. And if you're really in that predicament right now, I'd be glad to spend some time with you and talk to you about that. If you really don't care anything about serving the Lord, there's something wrong. There's something wrong there. Maybe you don't know Christ, or if you're a Christian, you may be way out of fellowship with the Lord. And you need to get back in fellowship with Him. Before we can really serve the Lord, we need to know Him as Savior. Somebody that doesn't know Christ, they say, well, I'm going to do this for God and that for God and, and something else for God. It means nothing. Because we need to know Christ as Savior. We need to serve Him out of worship and gratitude. We serve the Lord because He has so blessed us. We do that out of praise and appreciation. We serve as part of the body. You know, God wants us to work together. God doesn't want us as Christians to be lone rangers that just kind of go about things ourselves. He wants us to work together. I'm glad when my body functions well together. And God is pleased. Jesus is pleased when the local church functions in a harmonious and Christ-like unified fashion. It's a blessing to him. And we need to faithfully exercise the gifts he's given to us in that Christ-like fashion seeking to bring honor and glory to him. I close with a question. Will you serve Jesus today? Will you serve him with the gifts and abilities that he's given to you? Do you want to serve him this morning? Because of what he's done for you, I pray that's the case. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, you don't need us to do your work down here. You can send angels. You can do it yourself. You can speak all of creation into existence in, in six days. You certainly don't need us. But, Father, thank you for loving us enough to save us. Thank you for loving us enough to allow us to be involved in, in your work of reaching out to other people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and helping other people grow in their walk with you. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to show our love for you by loving each other, by loving others, even those, Lord, that may not be that lovely, even those with whom we may not agree. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to do that. Thank you for giving us gifts. Lord, help us never to be proud of the gifts, but to be grateful for them and to use them and to be committed to serving you. This day, this week, throughout the course of our lives, may each day be about living for Jesus Christ. My prayer in his name. Amen.